Well, it's been several weeks since uh, we recorded. I think both, mm-hmm. uh, both, both yourself and I, uh, which that sounds like some sort of like mid, mid 20th century poetry there. Both yourself and I. Maybe it's a collaboration between Sylvia Plath and Shel Silverstein, where they uh, maybe that unpublished children's book they worked mm-hmm. on. Although, you know, I'm reading um, what's, what's a Shel Silverstein book? I'd say I'm reading. Doesn't mean I'm reading it, but you've got the, uh, the, the edge of the sidewalk. The end of the sidewalk. I don't know. Yep. I think people who cherish their childhood are probably rolling around in their uh, pre-purchased graves. <laughs> I can't remember that, but but like I don't know if you've noticed the yeah. author picture of him. He does not look like someone that you would want to have around your kids. He's got this like scowl on his face, and he's holding a guitar, and he's got his foot pointed towards you. Which I have no problem with foot's pointed towards me, but it's it's kind of funny that you got this kids book guy and his picture is basically like angry hippie. Yeah, you know he's a uh, he's part of our childhood. So yeah. where the sidewalk ends and all these great books. Give there it you go. Where the sidewalk uh, ends. Yeah, I've read a few of these great books. Yeah, he seems like a, he was a pretty cool dude. Yeah, and he's got the uh, he's got the Giving Tree, which my wife is like, I do not want to read that book because I will sob at the end of it. It's just yeah. like the, uh, the the saddest book ever, but I it guess is. in an endearing way. I don't know. I don't know. There must be a name for that. So yeah, I'm gonna have to look up that uh, that Sylvia Plath Shell Silverstein combo. That seems like a good partnership. Well, anyways, I was in uh, I was in Jakarta and Bangkok, and I think I think you were various uh, equally glorious places. Where where mm-hmm. were you traveling around at? Where was I? Not nearly as as glamorous as Bangkok. A, a couple trips to Boston, a trip to Austin, Texas. You know, some some bouncing around coming up these next few weeks. So, but yeah, not the uh, not the Cote Asian World Tour, which seemed pretty awesome. Asian World Tour, I like that. Yeah, you know, I have noticed that that you you uh, maybe I'm just noticing, but man, you're you're going out there more and more, which is exciting. I need I need to get in a meeting with you one day so I can see the uh, the full on Sroder. That, no, it's fun. it is something to behold. I got to be honest with you, but it's. Uh... <laughs> It, uh, it makes grown men cry, just like a Shel Silverstein book. Is it like Gallagher and you hand out like uh, glasses and ponchos if you're in the front row? Oh, yeah. There's a splash zone. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fun for the kids. That's good. That's good. Yeah, well, so I was, I was at, uh, I was at a, a DevOps stage in Jakarta, which is really fun. I'd I, I never been there. And uh, as, as always, was well, this true? I mean, if it wasn't true, I don't think I would say otherwise. But as always, when I travel abroad, like there was, a, there's a lot of interest in uh, in DevOps and and uh, Agile. Someone was talking to me, and they said that uh, several years ago, which which is is less than uh, a lot, I guess. They said they said a couple years ago that the the local community there in Jakarta that they've really gotten interested in uh, Agile development and uh, and all of that. And and I take, I mean, obviously, Agile's like. Well, maybe not obviously. It's a little around 20 years old or so, so there's been plenty of time to be interested in it. But, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of community events and uh, things going on over there, which, which is fun. Maybe it'll be an excuse to go back there. Because, you know, here, here's a little uh, traveler tip, right? I've been to, to Thailand twice now, once for vacation and, and then just recently because, you know, I'm a highfalutin um, mm-hmm. marketing person, apparently. Uh, but when you go there, it's very difficult. They don't want to like give uh, foreigners like spicy food. And so you have to like tell them to make your food spicy. And, you know, as I was trying to explain to people, like I grew up not only eating like Tex-Mex, which is spicy, but like you basically nowadays grow up eating Thai food. Like Thai food is just, I think, well, I don't know, at least here in the U.S., it's just part of our cuisine. 
And so, you know, it's nice to have spicy food, but then you go over to Indonesia and Jakarta, they don't ask. The food's just spicy. <laughs> it's great. And they got, uh, I think they call it mala <laughs> and everything. Like they've got all sorts of spicy sauce and they'll give you a, uh, they, they're one of those, those uh, cuisine cultures that serves the fish whole mm. without, without the guts in it, of course. Sure. Uh, they just serve the whole fish, which, which uh, I, I still don't quite know how to serve myself whole fish. I don't have those. Um, I, I don't have that dexterity, like, you know, to, to kind of like expertly cut the, 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 the fillet, the meat off of the bones without getting the bone in there. Like, I feel like there's mm-hmm. serving a whole fish lessons I need, I need to go to. to well, I, I smell a marketing team building exercise. <laughs> Just find a nice cookout, <laughs> cook some whole fish. That, that would, that would be good. That would be sort of like, instead of, uh, instead of a ropes course, or I, I don't think anyone does this anymore, right? Instead of a ropes course or falling backward, you, yeah. would, you, would, you would work with each other to properly debone a fish that was already cooked. That's right. I, I don't need trust falls. I just need to eat the meat you cut off a fish and not choke on a bone. Like, that's trust. I believe exactly. You. <laughs> that's right. And then, of course, you need to write a, uh, a white paper about it afterwards. Well, good good segue into our uh, general theme for the podcast episode. That's right. Well, uh, we also have a guest. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, much returning guest? Yeah, uh, this is Jared Ruckel. I'm on the uh, product marketing team here at Pivotal, and I'm already very excited to be here because the segue was related to white papers rather than speaking of grown men crying, which I think you mentioned <laughs> earlier, Cote. So already <laughs> Now, now, by saying that, are these two topics that you're equally uh, knowledgeable about and prepared to speak on? Uh, I, I do have children, so I uh, have some sort of grasp of children's literature. Um, mm. We spend a lot of time as a team talking about Dragons Love Tacos. Whoa, so what's that one? A, I need to look. Uh, well, you might be able to guess what it's about. <laughs> I'm going to put that in the show notes, Dragons <laughs> Love Tacos. You should. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a part one and a part two, and ooh. if you ask me... And a fellow pivot domain that is just really begging for a prequel. Like mm. there's a, a whole story there about what happened beforehand that needs to be told. Yeah. Right. He tried yeah. other genres. Like he really didn't like taquitos and then he had some sausages. Like he just, he had to work his way up to tacos. Yeah. And then there's a, a plot twist in there about salsa and how spicy mm. they like it. Speaking of, you know, spicy food, which is another great segue. Huh? Well, I mean, I feel like my work this week is uh, done. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. That's right. Well, uh, consequent, if that's a, a word to it being uh, several weeks, there's a, there's a whole slew of, uh, of content to go over. I mean, I think, I think Pivotal has put out some things and we've got the, uh, we had the CF Summit uh, yeah. last week, or was that week before last? I forget. A couple weeks, yeah. And, uh, and then Microsoft Build is going on. They're sort of um, combined together. Uh, kind of everything conference, but sort of infrastructure and developer and, uh, and, and stuff going on there. And then, and then of course, there was uh, KubeCon uh, last week. So mm-hmm. we got some uh, Kubernetes stuff. And then, uh, not, not least of which, there was uh, Dell Tech World out there. I think this was last week, right, in, uh, in Las Vegas. Since you're the guest, Jared, why don't you pick the first bucket of stuff that you want to sort through? Ooh, pressure is on. Um... Yeah, how about the the KubeCon stuff? Um, first of all, was there a controversy about how the conference name is pronounced? Oh, a, a topic for some of the tools that are out there. I bet there was because I said KubeCon and you said CubeCon. Yeah. So 
That this sounds like we could really get into some some pedant splaining on this. Let me let me make a case. Uh, it's Kubernetes, right? So you would say KubeCon. What's what's your case? Just we'll do debate team format where whether you believe it or not, you can take the uh, the contra position. Well, because there's a tool that you use that's KubeCTL or Cube Control, and that's mm. kind of a, a mini debate about how you pronounce something. So. I, I guess I'm now more confused than when we started. Mm. That's right. Well, some people call that Kube Cuddle as well because it's Kube CTL. So that I can't say that with a straight face, but you know, all of these these things need better names. Wow. You know, I'll have to find this, but I think there was a uh, what is it XCD XKCD yeah. and a cartoon about how to pronounce things that ended in people shouting to each other about GIF. So I think <laughs> I think I think that's uh, that's good. We'll put that in there. Well, there was there was a whole slew of announcements, uh, including uh, you know Google had a, uh, a a a yet another layer to put into the container stack to do more securing, which uh, we discussed this last week on uh, my my own podcast, Software Defined Talk. Uh, but you know, more security, why not? It it seems better, and uh, yeah, I mean there there was there was a a lot of vibrant Kubernetes related stuff there. I didn't get to go to the conference. But uh, it, mm-hmm. it seemed nice. How what what did you two uh, spot from it? Yeah, as you mentioned, there's a lot of you know any vendor there had some announcements. We had some uh, announcements around work we're doing with with Confluent, the company that has primarily contributed Kafka and, and some of the work there. As so we talked about our upcoming collaboration to make Kafka great on PKS, which is good. Then you had DigitalOcean announcing their own Kubernetes service because honestly, everyone has to have one at this point. So they had some good stuff there. You know, it was a it was a good slew of vendors, large and small, talking about different things with Kubernetes. I think at some point we may hit a Kubernetes exhaustion point, but it doesn't seem like we're there yet. I think for what I saw was some of the overlap and intertwining with you know serverless. So kind of talking about the the fun Kubernetes container abstraction and then serverless as the function abstraction and how all those things different play together and really how Kubernetes is a, you know, interesting way to, you know, build, you know, new platforms and, and new abstractions. So I thought that was a kind of a, kind of a cool confluence, not confluent of uh, different you know, ideas hey. that we talk a lot about in tech. And we have uh, obviously one of the co-creators keynoting at spring one. Neha is going to be on stage probably on day one. So yeah, I think it's cool that we're getting a little closer together as companies. And there's, there's a lot of most pivotal customers are either looking at or using Kafka and running it on PKS seems like an ideal way to, to keep it close on a managed platform. So it seems like win-win. Now, now what's the spring one platform conference that might just be on September 24th to 27th that you mentioned? It is, you know, and now you're past the first price cliffs and now you've got to jump up to the incrementally more expensive ticket because you're a procrastinator. So <laughs> now is the time to book and we're finalizing the content now all that we have a crazy amount of submitted talks, which was really impressive. Just as you know, Kote, kind of company after company and individual after individual, it was just an impressive set of, of folks coming in. So we'll have 25 or so percent of the catalog posted this month here in May Main stage is, is settling down, almost completed. I'm working on that. So it's going to be bigger and better than last year. Washington, D.C., buy your ticket now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's sort of in the, uh, the Maryland part of D.C. to insult all the Marylanders out there. I mean, you're your own independent state. That's uh, true. But I think, I think there's going to be a lot of crabs. Uh, you know, so got to look into crabs. I have, my understanding is that it's uh, blue crabs that are the big deal there. 
Well, also, uh, I mean, just to mention it briefly, we, uh, yeah. we, we IPO'd, I think, since last time we talked. That was fun. Right. I enjoyed all the, the pictures from the floor of, of yeah. people um, enjoying themselves. There's a little bit of hamming it up. That, that, that's always nice to see. You were there, right? I was. Yeah, I didn't get into the Josh Long, uh, you know, photo bombing pictures from on mm. Mad Money or, or those sort of squawk box shows. But yeah, that was a crazy experience. I'm, I'm proud of everyone for getting to this point. And now the actual hard work begins. So it's a good milestone. Now, now I when I was uh, when I was abroad there, I think I think when I was waiting to fly out of Bangkok, I happened to watch that uh, is it trading places. So is it is it like that right. movie with like where there are the orange juice commodity thing? Or are they just people yelling at each other everywhere? I was hoping for more of that, but it was weird because all the pivotal people were in, in suits and, and skirts and dressed up and all the traders wearing pivotal hoodies. So it was just such a bizarre swapping of, uh, of roles. And there was not a lot of screaming and yelling and holding paper and throwing things in the air. So it's all stupid computers now. Oh, that's too bad. There wasn't just like people throwing confetti paper into the air all the time. No, I was trying to get a deal on orange juice, but didn't seem to get anywhere. Yeah, the orange juice futures. <laughs> So, uh, you know, another thing that came out uh, yeah. that, that I thought was interesting, because I'm always looking at this stuff, is we have the, uh, as we call it, the built to adapt benchmark, mm-hmm. which I think, I think there's sort of two layers to it. I haven't actually seen the um, uh, sort of the machinery behind it, but there, there's two things that are out there now that are interesting to look at. And there is a, uh, I think it's across like four or five different um, phase or, or areas like in operations and the business side and development. And there is a, uh, to borrow an old term of ours, an opinionated set of metrics. And so uh, I think uh, just off the top of my head, there's probably like mm, 12 to 15 metrics on there of things to track, like uh, unplanned downtime versus planned downtime and, and not downtime, but sort of like getting it right versus not getting th- things that were scheduled in the backlog versus uh, discovered tasks that you have. And several other benchmarks that I think uh, will start to be mm-hmm. a useful thing for people to uh, track with metrics. Because I always think, um, I don't know if you've been encountering this in your uh, uh, poncho front row uh, gigs, as it were. But one of the, one of the fun things that's sort of like uh, half, I think, uh, serious and also half kind of uh, EBC hazing is people will ask you what metrics they should be using. And these ones look pretty nice. They yeah. look like uh, actual uh, useful metrics for people to track, not only at the team level, but at the management level as well. So those will be fun to uh, stew over and look at some more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually was pretty happy with that. You you probably get this too, Cote, but I've done a couple of talks the last few weeks on on how the best companies really measure their success. And so, yeah, what are those metrics that matter? And the benchmark thing seems good. It's based in real data. We're actually putting up a survey in the next couple of days where you can kind of grade yourself against that by answering mm. some questions. So yeah, I think it's a good exercise. Most people don't want to get stuck with vanity metrics. And sometimes even I'm starting to believe that just the raw deploys count can be a vanity metric because it's, yeah. you know, if I do 10,000 a month or I do a thousand a week or whoever, does that matter? Maybe the better metric we've been talking about more is how many apps are on pipelines that, you know, maybe that should be a hundred percent because that means I can deploy whenever I want, even if it's not every day. And so there's just, how do you find the right metrics so you don't accidentally create the wrong incentives or you, you celebrate something that actually didn't matter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, I think there's a, enough metrics there that you can pick the one that's right, the ones that are right for you, or maybe just one. Like, like I remember um, I've been, as I'm fond of saying, I think every six months, uh, I've, I've been working on like updating my uh, cloud-native journey book 
Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of new stuff that I haven't even read yet. Uh, but <laughs> I, I was I was thinking about this metrics thing before I was uh, looking over the benchmark thing. And there's there's um, uh, there's there's one case of a customer of ours, Orange France, and they wanted to, uh, as is a common case, they wanted to have their customer service uh, stop being call centers and be an app. Uh, but more importantly, it was for small and medium businesses. And more importantly, uh, they wanted to, they, they had a, a very humble approach. They wanted to lessen the interactions uh, that their customers had to have with them. And um, that was like the, not the only one, but that was like the top KPI that they picked to track, which was uh, inter- from the other side of it, right? The, the sort of like, as they would say, business impact. Uh, sort of metric to start tracking is like figure out what the actual thing you're trying to accomplish is and start tracking that metric as a, as a primary thing. And it's just an interesting notion that you could uh, boil down one metric beyond, you know, the typical one of like, how many books did you sell? Which I think was a uh, popular dot com <laughs> error thing to, uh, to track, yeah. so to speak. But yeah, I mean, finding out what those metrics are and how to track them based on the uh, the software work that you do. I think is uh, it's, it's valuable to see that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. the, um, the second thing that I think was interesting about this is uh, the in in I forget how many organization or it was across like five industries and in several countries or something like that. But there are also at the moment maybe it'll be more uh, like baseline metrics from insurance, manufacturing, banking, yeah. retail, and other things. And it's interesting to go through there uh, to use another B word. Uh, to find a baseline uh, for what is um, the baseline in that industry. So like, for example, I don't have the numbers in front of me because I'm a prepared professional, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, there, there was some interesting commentary on how retail is actually one of the most advanced um, sort of digitally transformed, so to speak, things like, so because of the pressures that they have in the retail space and because they're more, very consumer oriented, they actually are doing uh better than some other industries when it comes to their online presence and being able to transact online and things like that. And so you can look at some representative metrics across, uh, across those industries, which I think, you know, when I, when I talk with people, um, I don't know if they always like, if this is like top of mind of what they're asking, but one of the things I'm, I try to tell them is like, uh, you know, you're, you're probably normal. <laughs> like you may, you may think like you're way behind or it's impossible to do something, but you should get a sense of like your normalcy versus unnormalcy, not so that you can, uh, uh, you know, slow down and not actually do things, but so that you don't like, you know, uh, feel terrible about yourself. <laughs> yeah. I have a good <laughs> a sense of how okay you are. Yeah. You should be dissatisfied, but you shouldn't necessarily be stressed out that everyone's lapping you. Like there's a mix, I guess. of Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. So uh, let's see. So then, so then uh, we we should go over the uh, the Dell Tech World stuff. I think uh, I think we had a, a good write up of of the sessions that we had there, and uh, and several other things. What what's uh, what's your pick for what the fun stuff was at the Dell Tech World, Jared? Let's see. Uh, you know, there was actually a, a pretty good case study of Dell drinking their own champagne. I guess is what you say. We don't say the dog food thing anymore, mm. right? Um, there's a pretty cool uh, case study of how Dell itself has started on this getting better at software, this whole digital transformation thing. And I think you you tweeted out the the case study link to that this morning, didn't you, Cote? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, indeed. So uh, kind of talks about, you know, the, a number of different things that you know, both of you have just been touching on about looking at, you know, the metrics and, you know, the numbers that, that really matter um, and how you kind of, you get to that particular point you know, and how you know, fast you can get there. You know, I think uh, the money, the money line that you tweeted out, Cote, was something about how it was like flipping a switch where you could get some order of magnitude boost in velocity. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was it's been fun to, uh, over the last few weeks, read up about that. Cause I, you know, as being in Austin and also having worked at Dell, like I've spent some time, uh, looking at the, the labs, the pivotal style labs they have set up there. And it is sort of where we have our, um, our Austin labs office in a, uh, sort of, I don't know, casual way, if you will. And yeah, it, it's, it's cool to go in there cause it's quite the contrast from, the traditional Dell everything uh, that I would encounter where they have, it looks, it's set up exactly like a uh, pivotal lab situation where there's people pairing at this, uh, at a, at a table and there's a nice open area to hang out at. And it's, uh, they even have like some snacks and refreshments, uh, which is nice. So I think they've been doing that for um, maybe a, a year or so now. And, and it is like, you know, you don't really sort of think about this unless you've uh, worked internally at Dell, but like, you know, they're working on like, as, as they say in the article, like Dell.com, which is the thing they're working on is uh, huge and also extremely mission critical <laughs> for, for, for revenue. And so it is, uh, and, and it's also a very, um, it's been around for a long time and it's built of all sorts of systems. So it's a good ongoing case study of, even though uh, it's nominally from, ourselves so to speak uh it's it's like it's the same similar challenges and type of software that most every large organization has and uh and it's so it's good to hear that they're uh, they're able to do it and and the experience that they've had and also their internet there is really fast i always find uh, that if you go there you should bring your photos to upload it's handy to have that nice yeah so, uh, and then also, uh, you know, I, I've always, I'm always into reference architectures and, uh, mm-hmm. I see that we came, that they came out with one, the pivotal ready architecture from Dell EMC, which, which is a nice name, but there is, there's a pretty good, you know, um, uh, let's say high level reference architecture going over how all the various pieces fit together, uh, you know, running on top of vSphere and VxRail and, and some other Dell EMC technologies. But I think, I think it, it is good to have an answer for, uh, you know, here, here's uh, an overview of what it would look like to uh, run your own your own setup for this, and of course, the actual setup of being integrated together. That's also a nice side effect of generating a PDF that describes it. So, so that's always good, sarcastically. Yeah. But yeah, then- I think that that's a. Oh, sorry, I think that the the PRA thing is is really kind of an interesting option. We talk about you know multi cloud and companies having their choice of different infrastructure targets they want to deploy to and people you're doing you know private cloud as well as uh, public cloud. So it's kind of this you know, interesting you know, mix of different things. And PRA is kind of a unique option where um, if you don't want to kind of bother expanding your existing private cloud, you can buy this integrated appliance just you know, plunk it down in your data center, plug it in, and then you're, you're up and running really quickly. So we talked about this DIY value line kind of conversation. If you don't want to muck around with you know, expanding your private cloud footprint, it's a really you know, cool option to get going really quickly with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a purchasable thing, right, Jared? It's not just a reference architecture. It's actually a SKU that you buy that comes converged. 
Yeah, that's right. So it's got the hyperconverged infrastructure and VX rail and all those kinds of things. And I think it probably hyperconverged infrastructure is maybe a new thing for the pivotal uh, universe to get familiar with. But as we you know get get closer with Dell and start integrating more things with VMware and NSX, there is a lot of appeal to have this you know turnkey to you know, use up our our buzzword quota hmm. or uh, this option that you can just you know, plug in and, and go. Um, so yeah, there'll definitely be a, a lot of interest in something like that, particularly as it includes, you know, the app platform, and then uh, all this talk with you know PKS and Kubernetes being able to get that stood up you know, very quickly too. Yeah. Do you think when uh, when they were in a conference room a while ago, there was a lot of debate over saying turnkey versus key turn, like when that phrase was uh, that idiom was created? Because they're sort of like equivalent, right? Like, like why would you choose turnkey over key turn? There's there's some uh, weekend assignment. To think yeah, of. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you're gonna have to give me a minute on this one. I <laughs> got you on that because <laughs> I was thinking like, where does that turnkey phrase come from? I mean, you got a car ignition, you've got uh, you know launching nuclear warheads. There's Real all sorts estate. of things that you you turn a key for, but then also it's a it's the act is actually a key turn. I don't know. Maybe turnkey describes a key turn. Whew. You know, English. What, what a language. So it related to the reference architecture. Mind blown. <laughs> related to the reference yeah. architecture, there was also a, uh, an update to the, uh, the integration we have with Azure Stack. And more specifically, the, uh, the, as they say, Dell EMC Cloud for Azure Stack, but the, the Dell EMC version uh, of, of Azure Stack and how we, we fit into that. So there are, uh, there are now many multiple options, depending on what, what you need to actually run uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry on-premise or maybe in, you know, run it on your own, wherever, whatever premise it may be on, or I'm sorry, premises. But uh, it, it seems like in, in the past year or so, there's, uh, there's been a whole bevy of these actual uh, uh, modes coming out that are mm-hmm. uh, pretty well documented amongst the, uh, the community here. Yeah, and then also, oh, yeah. also not to leave it out, there's also a virtue stream, uh, uh, right? Uh, packaging of it, uh, which which seems interesting, right? And and you know, as as uh, that's sort of interesting in the sense that they manage it for you, like they'll manage running everything. And I think I think also a large part of what virtue stream does is they will run your older ERP systems, or from our perspective, older. But they also are uh, good at running your ERP system. So you've kind of got, uh, for those people who worried about having um, their new application development be able to be, for all the good reasons, side by side with their uh, existing systems, that's another good option out there uh, to, for you. And then finally, I always like to point this out. So Dell yeah. has this Flickr account, and uh, they upload lots of photos, which are always very well taken. So there's, there's three days worth of photos you can look at in the albums. Presumably, it'll move over to Smug Mug one day, but uh, uh, lots of, <laughs> lots of photos of, of people doing stuff. All the way down to my favorite is the, uh, the buffet and catering that I missed out on. It looks like there was some tasty snacks out there. Legit FOMO there. Exactly. Food FOMO. So uh, I think other than a few miscellaneous things and maybe uh, asking... Yeah. Jared about uh, the exciting work that he does. There was also just, it was a while ago, but there was also CF Summit uh, that occurred. And, uh, I, you know, for me, I think there were, uh, there, there were a lot of good, as always, uh, sort of case studies and testimonials and things like that that came out, which equally, uh, it's always nice to promote Pivotal and uh, the success and other people in the Cloud Foundry community that they've had. 
but it's it's also interesting to see the um the sort of uh uh speeds and feeds that people have had like T-Mobile getting down to like 170 developers to one operator ratio for their Pivotal Cloud Foundry neck of the woods. And then, and then there was even more detail about the, uh, the, the U.S. Air Force's uh, use of Pivotal, which, which I think over the past six months has been extremely fleshed out. But it's, uh, it's such an interesting case that it's good to see more, uh, even more documentation of it. How, if I remember, they basically got their... Uh, they're, they're developed. Well, you were actually in the session, but you know, what's remarkable about that is, uh, they were able to move down putting st- software into release from years <laughs> into a matter of months and then iterate over it, which I right. think, uh, extremely encouraging. But what, uh, what did you see in that session that you thought was interesting? Yeah. The video is online now as well up on the cloud foundry, uh, foundation YouTube channel. So it's a good watch, but yeah, I, I think it was this, how this team was, was showing some of the benefit back of this. This wasn't just some rogue team, although, you know, they keep the Kessel Run website and you can buy t-shirts and stuff like that. But, That's right. you know, but there's something too that you learn. And I think you've talked about that with Allstate and others too, is sometimes you also, you have to build a community around it and it becomes infectious. And other people do want to copy those outcomes, not just the cool tech stack, but that, again, they're making a real difference with software. So it was, you know, they had some good numbers in there about reducing cycle times and getting stuff to prod and, and they're going to, I expect them to also be at spring one with some updated stories. So yeah, no, some good stuff from air force, as well as, as you mentioned, others, T-Mobile on stage, plenty of customers telling good stories. And of course at the conference too, it's not just customers telling cool stories. It's also good deep dives into the engineering and where the projects are going and what all the latest stuff is. Yep. And, uh, and then as they always do, uh, well, I think they always do this. They released the most recent uh, cloud foundry foundation survey and uh, yeah, I, I pulled out some items that I liked into the show notes. If you want to, you listeners want to go peruse that. But I, I think I think in general, the uh, the, the couple of, of uh, parts that are interesting at looking at there are one sort of tracking the use of of Kubernetes in in the uh, in Cloud Foundry deployments, and I think it was uh, it was up to like thirteen percent of uh, people using Cloud Foundry you know, across the distros we're uh, using uh, the, the Kubernetes uh, component and uh, 45% were evaluating it. So that there is uh, an extreme amount of interest. I mean, it's, a, it's I think it was over 600. Uh, there were about 380 people who qualified uh, to answer, to be part of the survey. And uh, so it's good. It's good uh, numbers to wrap around the sort of anecdotal uh, interest and momentum we see there. And then there's also um, there's also a very detailed analysis broken out by things of the cost savings uh, that that people have had, and I think I think you know the summary is that there's I think there's four tranches of of cost savings depending on I forget how they're qualified, but it's essentially there's about uh, let's say about it says nearly a quarter, so let's call that twenty four percent. Uh, of people said that they they're saving about uh, half a million dollars per application cycle, and then there's seventeen uh, percent, very precise number there, who uh, are saving over a million dollars per release cycle. Which you know, I- even if you are conservative and discount those numbers down, it's uh, it's good to see that people are optimizing on cost uh, in their release cycle. In addition, as as you are mentioning, Richard, and we're talking about with metrics, you know, hopefully the business side is good as well. But uh, people are always very interested in stuff with monetary signs in front of it. So there's some interesting stuff in the survey around that. Yeah, it's neat stuff. It's good to get those kind of surveys. And 
They had some good stats in there, as you said, that showed expansion and, and some other good points. So it's nice to get that out there. So I think that's about all the news that we have. Did we- yeah, the only other one I wanted to throw in there, I'd thrown something in there on security quickly, that there was a uh, depressing story uh, yesterday that, what was it, uh, like 11,000 companies have downloaded vulnerable versions of struts since those patches mm-hmm. came out. That was the same thing that Equifax got hit by. So we've had some security-focused podcast episodes. And this is just that reminder, like, we're still doing the same things that get us into trouble. And that is using vulnerable versions of software, often as dependencies. It's not even your code that has to change all the time, but your dependencies keep going out of date. So if you're one of these companies, many of which are the Fortune 500, many of these are the largest financial and insurance firm, you're as vulnerable as Equifax was with some of these things. So maybe it's time to modernize and, and get off these things. Mm. Well, let, let me, let me, uh, let, let me use this opportunity to use my only stretch joke. Are you ready? Are you too prepared? Buckle up. All right. What are we going to dot do about that? Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's my stretch joke. <laughs> it's, it's funny now as it was way back in 2004. So that's that's good. Well, uh, speaking, you have of, a gift. You have a gift, my friend. That's, speaking of things that are as great now as they were in two thousand four, how, how about yourself, Jared? What have you been up to since last we talked? Uh, well, um, see, we've talked more recently than two thousand and four, so that's good. <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The the mix of uh, of the product marketing gig here at at Pivotal is uh, you know the tons of content work. Um, you know, white papers, blogs, you're doing product launches, you know, things of that sort. So uh, all cool things as we help, you know, try and tell a compelling product narrative and highlight a lot of customer success. So uh, a lot of the stuff revolves around, you know, those two, those two work streams, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm always telling Richard, we have a, uh, we have a blizzard of information. I mean, you know, obviously in a good way, but uh as as first, I've been around here like three years now, and uh, I think I think we've significantly ramped out our uh, ramped up our publishing, which is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, for, yeah. for sort of like a uh, data hoarder like me, it's exciting to, to find all of that stuff. Yeah, I get way too much credit for any of that. So, I mean, for Jared, for specifically, <laughs> you know, I do look sometimes at our our not even just competition, but like who are the biggest tech firms and what are they publishing? And for our size, let alone. Just in general, we seem to publish a, a ton, you know, blog posts, clearly top-notch podcast episodes like this, white mm-hmm. papers, videos. So, I mean, Jerry, have you, how have you kind of thought about how we're more purposeful? Because it's easy to just blast this stuff out in the aforementioned blizzard of content, but sometimes it is good to organize around some sort of message. What have we been doing this year, I guess, to maybe stay a little bit on point? Yeah, and this is a blast from the past for folks that have worked in advertising or public relations, but there used to be print magazines, and they used to have things called editorial calendars. And so uh, editorial calendars are uh, really handy ways to think about the messages you want to get out there um, that align with industry events or product releases or things of that nature. Uh, and so what we've done is that we've organized an editorial calendar for for all things, you know, pivotal, really thinking about the top messages we have and then aligning content to those, you know, messages, having a, a primary theme, you know, one month with a secondary theme. Uh, and these are you know, really handy guidelines that you know, give content contributors ways to think about, you know, timing of their of their content, sequencing deliverables, you know, things of that nature, aligning to broader industry trends. And it's a really handy way to think of it as a roadmap of sorts for all the content uh, creation and content syndication that you want to try and do. 
Yeah. So what, so what do you think are the, uh, uh, like of all the sort of mediums that, that, that are out there, what, what are the, the kind of mediums, you know, across like white papers and well, of course, podcasts is everyone's favorite as, as rich. <laughs> then you got your, uh, your eBooks and blog posts and videos. What, what are you finding that the, the sort of like pivotal community responds best to, or is most interested in, I guess, and I left that webinar as well, but where, uh, where, where's the, some of the more, most excitement and engagement that you're seeing? Yeah, it really depends on the, the, the sales process, you know, when in enterprise, you know, software, you have, you know, six, nine, 12 month, you know, sales cycles. So I think if you look at lead generation, the ebook, uh, ebook assets are always, um, you know, top notch. That's why I was very excited when Matt Stein tweeted that he felt like writing a book again. So that was uh, <laughs> right. great news, great news this morning. Uh, and then as you get into uh, really the, the uh, more mature parts of the sales process, you know, the white papers can be really effective to help explain a concept either right before a meeting or right after a meeting. Um, what we've really tried to do is uh, try and package up as much of that you know, collective insight and wisdom from uh, a lot of pivots so that they can send that stuff out ahead of time or as a follow-up so that they can focus their time uh, in talking with the customer at a whiteboard and really getting down to the, the nitty-gritty specifics of the problems that they're trying to solve. So white papers are great um, in, in that regard. And then you know, things like you know, the blogs, the, the webinars, and the, and the social and podcasts are all great just for kind of a steady you know, drumbeat of, of activity. Um, when something new comes out, it's really handy to have a blogger uh, or a, a podcast or a, or a webinar to point people towards because you know, things are just you know, accelerating. They're not slowing down. So I think you probably do need a mix for all this stuff, um, given the, the space that uh, Pivotal happens to, to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I find, uh, I mean, I mean, you, I would have answered the same way that I'm, I'm always surprised that all the different mediums still have thriving audiences. <laughs> and, and I, I guess, I guess I should stop being surprised. That's the only thing that's surprising that I still am. But, uh, people like all the formats, you can't really hone in on just one. Yeah. And what's, what's really cool about, uh, you're working at, at Pivotal is that, um, there's so much, you know, kind of collective wisdom that everybody here has. So I think of this editorial calendar and a lot of what we do in, in product marketing is, you know, harnessing the hive mind of everybody that, that works here. And I'd probably include, you know, our, our customers and partners in all this as well. So when you're thinking about all the different, you know, mediums and what's going to be really effective, you still need to have that, you know, good story. And there's all kinds of really cool artifacts that folks here have cobbled together from, GitHub repos they did for a project or workshops that they run for a bunch of spring developers or a, a .NET you know, workshop as we're starting to do a lot more of, um, you know, customer wins. And there's just this rich, uh, you know, fertile ground to, to draw from as we create content and, and syndicate it. And so we want to kind of do a, an open source wisdom of the crowds thing where anybody at Pivotal can contribute. You know, they're, they're part of the story to the, to the narrative and you share what works, you know, what doesn't and why. Um, so that helps, uh, you know, capitalize on all these different mediums that remain still you know, pretty relevant, popular for different, different personas. Cool. So, I mean, you mentioned already the, uh, it's, I think it's been rewarding for you when people say, hey, can you help me with X? And you say, hey, we actually have content that answers that question. But you're not, I don't think, unless you've uh, been, been lying to me, but you're not the one actually writing 
all of these things and creating all this content. So, I mean, what's the pool? What's the pool of people you've been tapping into to actually help with all this? Yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned, you know, anybody really has an open invitation to, to, to write and contribute. And I know that that's probably a little bit different than some you know, bigger, bigger companies that may have a little bit more of a command and control type of structure. So uh, we've had a lot of interest from the platform architects, and these are folks that um, really are the, the best in the biz to, uh, to quote the pivotal you know, sales leadership, um, where they'll be with the customer on site for a year or more while they get them up and going with this you know, digital transformation business. And so they just have a ton of stories from the front lines about you know, how things have been going and what's really resonated. Um, and then also we've seen a lot of great stuff come from the uh, R&D organization, you know, developers, you know, product managers, you know, contributing to the new features that have been built. Um, and every new feature has a story behind it. You know, we, we literally use the artifact at Pivotal called a feature narrative to describe what that particular feature is going to do and, and why it matters in the context of the customer. Um, and all that stuff is really valuable information to buyers and customers out there, knowing not just, you know, what a particular feature is, but, you know, why we built it, why it was important, then getting into the, the house and the actual you know, technical nuts and bolts of all that stuff. So um, uh, we also do a lot with you know, partners trying to syndicate you know, their content on, on pivotal properties. Uh, no digital product lives alone, as we all know. So when people are, are bolting on their tech to the Cloud Foundry to solve a more expansive problem, that's always stuff we want to try and highlight because there's great things we can learn from there as well. So um, we talk about the importance of a, of a frictionless path to production for you know, your code and, and pipelines. I think it's really important for content authors to have a frictionless path to uh, you know, the, the website to get that content up and going there. So a lot of analogies, I think, with high-velocity development for, for high-velocity content teams too. Yeah. Was there anything that, you, that we've shipped, either blog posts or white papers or others recently that kind of stood out to you that if, if somebody was listening to this podcast going, this all sounds good, but you know, I don't want to sift through everything. What's that couple of one or two must read things? Yeah, there's, there's a, a really cool one on cloudnative.net the right way. As we start to engage, you know, more with uh, Windows shops and .NET teams, you know, Microsoft build happening this week, you know, lots of folks are, are talking about that and, and .NET core. So we've uh, encapsulated a lot of the collective wisdom of the uh, pivotal you know, .NET experts in that paper. Um, and then there's just two other things, just sort of in the spirit of, you know, business outcomes. Um, there's a, a paper on value stream mapping. And uh, the author has been on uh, one of our, our podcasts before, um, you know, the, the white paper is crossing the value stream, improving development with Pivotal and Cloud Foundry. So kind of this idea of that benchmarking uh, post that we talked about, the idea of what metrics matter, this value stream stuff is just a really handy way to get started with that whole process. So if you're not thrilled with how your software is going today, value stream mapping can be a, a great way to map out, you know, the specific bottlenecks and start to build some alignment across all the different you know, executives in your company about you know, how to think about you know, changing. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then one other last thing, um, this is a really cool series from uh, Molly Norris Walker, uh, a UX designer from Pivotal Labs. Um, she's got a book out and has been you know, teasing, uh, teasing a few excerpts from it on the Build to Adapt blog. Um, but she has a really cool post on how to craft a conversion funnel. And it really gets to this idea of how A-B test blue-green deployments about how all these newfangled development concepts can uh, 
get married up with UX ideas to, to drive business outcomes. So it's easy to over-rotate on you know, some technical implementation details, um, but those stories about you know, UX and how they can you know, help produce a better outcome is, uh, I think, what we all need to keep in mind. Yeah, I think the uh, the value stream mapping one that's 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 a good uh, example of uh, sort of um, what would you call it? One of the sourcing strategies uh, it, it seems like y'all use, which is you know so so a, a platform architect who's like a uh, technical person out in the field visiting with customers and prospects. Other people would call them sales engineers, but they're uh, commiserate to their name. They're kind of different than just someone who does. Well, they're much different than someone who just does demos for you. But you can imagine that uh, there were many, many sort of like meetings where it was suggested that you should look at your your whole workflow and people would ask like, well, what does that mean? And then there was a lot of whiteboarding doing value stream mapping. And so I, I imagine that process was sort of like, here, here's a repeating thing that comes up that seems helpful, helpful so we should uh, write it down. And then indeed, you look through the paper and it is a pretty good sort of uh, reference architecture, if you will, of how you would do a, a value stream map to figure out how improving your software would uh, make you rate high on those benchmark metrics, I guess. But, but it's, a, it's a fun, not too long paper. Uh, yeah. Is there anything, Jared, as you look ahead as we wrap up, are there kind of things you look at that you look forward to us writing about because you kind of see a bit of a dearth of discussion about it or you know, things as a whole, you would hope that we come back to. I was actually reading uh, a story today on the new stack. It was like an intro to Git that reminded me of sometimes we all zoom ahead to like the advanced sort of topics and advanced things. We don't always rewind to people who are new at something. So kind of where do you feel are there gaps? Are we doing a good job helping people understand the basics? And then are there advanced topics that we're not talking about enough? Yeah, I mean, you hit on it with the, the Equifax thing and uh, the, the struts usage where there still is just a lot of basic security hygiene that, you know, folks, you know, aren't doing or, you know, we need to find ways to you know, compel those kind of folks to, you know, modernize their security practices. Uh, and, you know, since you know, a lot of these companies, you know, hold our personal information, it is a personal thing for you know, all of us to try and think about how we can all get collectively better at you know, securing your systems and securing your data. So I think this notion of practical guidance for security and rapid patching and how to you know, measure your security practices uh, is going to be you know, paramount for the foreseeable future and you know, not just your know, newfangled things, um, but a lot of the basics of you know, applying patching with zero downtime, things like that. Um, and then the other thing that never goes out of style is you know, business outcomes. And we've touched on it a little bit you know, here in, in this conversation today, um, but how do you focus on those business outcomes? And a lot of tech conferences tend to focus on you know, the, the, pump, the plumbing and implementation details, and, and that's all well and good. Um, but not to lose sight of those you know, business outcomes, especially as you have app platforms, you've got all this Kubernetes business, and now you've got serverless in there. So this idea of you know, using the right abstraction for the right workload and this idea of matchmaking, I think, is, a, is another key thing for folks to get their, get their head around. And I think that you know, Pivotal can play a really important role in helping shape how all that, all that plays out. Yeah, I mean, cool. it's definitely, uh, that, that's, that's the whole point of all this that comes up over and over again. Yeah. So uh, that does sound like a, a fecund ground of, of content. Well, thanks for uh, being on this week. I think, uh, I think we asked you maybe about like uh, 90 minutes before this. So it's always nice when someone's ready to hop to it. And uh, it was good to get an overview of uh, what you've been up to and uh, go over the past couple of weeks. 
we should be back next week on our regular schedule cadence. We'll have to see. Uh, but, um, you know, as mentioned, I think, I think if you're interested in all of this, uh, there's spring one platform coming up and you know, you can just go to spring one platform.io, but we'll put a link in there. And, uh, I think I actually have a call this afternoon to look over talks, but as uh, Richard said, that's shaping up to look nice. And, uh, there's plenty of, uh, videos of all the sessions we've had in the past so you can get a sense of it, but I'd, uh, I'd encourage you to check it out if you listen this far and uh, you're interested in what's going on there. And we'll put a link to it in the show note, show notes. And as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. If you want to get the most recent episodes and peruse our expansive back catalog, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. And usually every Thursday, and I think I might hit this this week successfully, but usually every Thursday we put the full show notes up at uh, pivotal.io slash podcast where you'll see links to all the, the news things that we discussed and uh, some, some other items here and there. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>